broadcasting from Moscow, Idaho. This is the Campus Preacher Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 80, a first time preaching. Welcome, everybody, to the Campus Preacher Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism. I'm your host, Keith Darrell, and we are on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, flfnetwork.com, or crosspolitic.com. And if you go to more crosspolitic.com than the FLF Network, um, you can learn a little bit more about what we have going on. You become a club member, and you can also sign up for our um, rally. It's not a conference. It's a rally in Rapid City, South Dakota, April 29th through May the 1st, uh, where the theme is going to be Love God, Sing Psalms, Defy Tyrants. And if you've never been to Rapid City, it is a beautiful part of the country, the Black Hills, all that sort of stuff, as well as Mount Rushmore is there. It's a really, really beautiful part of the country. So if you have some vacation time and you're looking to get in a rally, uh, maybe maybe it's a rally because we're near Sturgis. And I think that's a, isn't that a rally that they do in Sturgis, South Dakota, uh, every August, I believe it is, with all the Harleys. So maybe that's why it's called a rally. I'm not sure what the difference is. But if you register uh, there, you can uh, join us. Uh, that, again, that's April 29th through May the 1st. And if you go over there, you can learn more about the FLF uh, University, become a club member, the different episodes uh, or shows that we have uh, on the network. And so what I'm going to talk about today is basically just my first time preaching. Over the last, uh, well, open-air preaching, not p- preaching in general, but open-air preaching, over the last probably five months, I've received a handful of uh, more so how do you get started or how'd you get into it um, type of emails. And so I just figured maybe I would uh, crank out a podcast that kind of helps uh, bring that together. But before I get into that, and that like every uh, podcast, before we do that, I, and then you're supposed to switch to an advertisement, uh, what I ever so briefly want to brush on is I saw a thing from Pro-Life Evangelicals for Biden. So basically, there are a bunch of evangelicals that wanted Joe Biden to be president. And it it's frustrating to read um, their letter. So anyway, they have an open letter on the American Recovery Act because there's this thing called the Hyde Amendment. And basically, I believe it was 1980, maybe 1981. But basically what the Hyde Amendment does was it technically prohibits um, taxpayer money to be used directly for abortions. And so anyway, in the um, American Recovery Act that Biden and the Democrats want to pass, there uh, there is no place for the Hyde Amendment. And they say this, um, as pro-life leaders in the evangelical community, we publicly supported President Biden's candidacy with the understanding that there would be engagement, uh, would be engagement us, that's poorly written, on the issue of abortion and particularly the Hyde Amendment. The Biden team wanted to talk to us during the campaign to gain our support, and we gave it to them on the condition there would be active dialogue and common ground solutions on the issue of abortion. There has been no dialogue since the campaign. And it's, it's, just, it's just so perfect, like, because it's frustrating, but it's also perfect because, like, they want to say Trump's a liar and all this sort of stuff. And then these these people just flat out pull the rug. Biden and his team just flat out pull the rug. And that's not even 40 chess. This is showing up to the table. And just saying, uh, not that Trump wasn't necessarily doing 40 chess, but that's just showing up to the table like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll give you an ear. You, you get us elected and we'll pay attention. And then uh, they, they're not even to have a dialogue. It's it's brutal. And it's uh, signed by Dr. Richard Mao, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He's the president of Fuller Seminary. And then another guy who I actually just, uh, I just don't think he's a good guy. His name's Ron Sider, if you're familiar with Sojourners. 
um, years ago when the uh, Pat Robertson made some comments when the Dominican or Haiti had a giant earthquake and was kind of crumbled and uh, Pat Robertson made a comment that they made a deal with the devil and I, I was working in New York at the time so I was sitting at a computer all day and if I'd have downtime I'd hop on the net and I remember interacting with some stuff on the Sojourner website and I got banned from their site um, and all I wasn't I, I wasn't even I honestly was not even saying anything inflammatory it was, it was basically straight gospel stuff that the only way to be saved is through Christ, and they, they were actually putting up kind of a religious pluralism in the um, comment section, and a little bit the article in the comment section. So anyway, I got banned from uh, from the Sojourner site. Um, but the thing I wanted to brush on is this. Um, the Hyde Amendment technically does not allow uh, federal funds to go to abortion uh, in an immediate sort of way. And what we have to understand, so if you ever have this discussion, people are like, oh, no federal money is used for an abortion. Um if you just think about it, so when I'm on campus, let's just say there's a kid there who has $100 a month to spend on books, food, and you know, whatever his bare necessities are to live. He has $100. And he's because of that, he's not able to afford pot or cigarettes or uh, alcohol. And so I come along and say, hey, I'll, you only have $100. You're living pretty tight. Here's another $100, but you got to promise me you, you will not spend any amount of this money on cigarettes, pot, or alcohol. And they're like, oh, sure enough, I never will. But what it fails to realize is my directly giving them $100 to subsidize all their other expenses frees up that other $100 that they did have to go towards alcohol, drugs, and cigarettes, whatever else. So the reality of it is, even if no federal funds are directly going to abortion, the federal funds are actually freeing up money to provide abortions. And so you just kind of keep that in the back of your head when people want to say, no, federal money is used for an abortion. Uh, it just doesn't really understand how subsidies uh, work. But the main thing I want to get at is uh, over the last few months, as I mentioned, you, I've had a myriad of emails. Of how do I get started? How did you get going? Um, and that sort of stuff. And, and maybe two years ago, I think I kind of shared a little bit of my background getting into open-air preaching. Um, but I'm just going to kind of race through that and get to the first day I, I ever did it uh, in case you're interested in doing it. So I was converted about a month before I got to college. I get to college, and there's a man there. Uh, well, I get to college, and it was kind of funny because I'm, you know, they're walking around with Campus Crusade for Christ people, and they're kind of explaining, like, how they do ministry and stuff like that. And they make a comment that there'll be a guy doing open-air preaching who comes out all the time, and he's crazy, and he's saying outrageous stuff, and, you know, we should just ignore him and not pay any attention to him. And so I was like, oh, okay. But my natural instincts were like, okay, I got to go check this guy out. And so a few weeks later, um, actually, I think there was one I walked by the first time, maybe the first or second week of school, and I maybe made a snide comment about, oh, you guys are crazy, and just kept going because they didn't have a crowd or anything like that. And then the uh, next time, there's a guy who I show up, and he has a bit of a crowd going. And so I decided to start listening. You can hear the crowd going, ooh, and ahs, and stuff like that. So I start to listen, and I was pretty fascinated with the environment. And I thought he was saying outrageous stuff. He was referring to uh, the girls as whores and, or sorority girls, and the boys were whoremongers, and uh, you're going to burn in fire is kind of what he would uh, always, he and his wife would always say. Um, but the thing that interested me was this. My friend lived in the like honors dorm, and in the honors dorm, you had all sorts of freaks. You had a guy called himself DM uh, for Demon Master. He thought he could conjure and control demons. You had another guy that was sleeping in a casket. You had a socialist. You had another guy who claimed he was 1,400 years old, and <laughs> just a handful of freaks. But they would all come out of the woodwork uh, to oppose this man, his preaching. There'd be uh, people out there with like red velvety sort of um, almost like little red riding hood sort of cloaks uh, and they'd be doing tarot cards and palm readings and all this sort of stuff. And so the, the environment intrigued me right off the bat. 
because there was no other time for all of our attempts to do ministry on campus. There was no other time where it was just a complete and total open format like that. So I was interested. And I didn't have enough philosophy of ministry at that point. I was kind of converted through Young Life, but didn't really have think through like, oh, Young Life is the way to do it. You know, I'd just read the Bible. and like, what does the Bible say? So I went back to my dorm and uh, began to read through the book of Acts. I was like, well, they're publicly preaching in Acts. This would make sense uh, that they would publicly, that, that there's public preaching, even though everybody was against it. I felt like I kept seeing it in the book of Acts, uh, particularly even one of the things I regularly talk about to this day is in Acts 17 when Paul's waiting for his friends in Athens. So he begins to reason with the people who are there and uh, he goes to the synagogue and then he goes into the marketplace and he stands before Mars Hill. And the other thing that began to happen that year was I was involved with Camp's Crusade and as I would go to their meetings, we started reading can't remember the, the exact title of the book. I, thought, I think it may have been called uh, Fire Seeds uh, for Spiritual Awakening or Seeds for Spiritual Awakening or Fire for Spiritual Awakening. And basically in that book, if I remember correctly, covered a bit of the history of revival. It may have just been a, a few short chapters, but dropped some names like Whitfield, uh, Wesley, uh, kind of went through the First Great Awakening that I remember and a few other individuals. And what I realized in in reading that is that there were men like Whitfield who were open-air preaching. There were men like Wesley who were open-air preaching. So you had all these men in the history of the church doing open-air preaching. So it just kind of appealed to me. So here we have something in the Bible that people are doing, and then you also have something here, something historical that people are doing, and yet we bristle uh, whenever it comes up. Why is that? And you know, my basic conclusion by the end of my freshman year was the problem's not the method um, of preaching, but it's kind of the the disposition, the attitude, the content of what is being said. And I ended up transferring schools. I went to Bowling Green State University my freshman year. I transferred to Miami University my sophomore year. But some friends of mine, we were talking about doing it my sophomore year. And I'm kind of thankful I didn't because I was not equipped at all. I didn't have a clue what the Bible taught in reality starting my uh, – even into my sophomore year. I was a believer at one point. Uh, or I was a believer for about a year at that point. And so I didn't really know what the Scriptures taught. didn't know what the Old Testament taught. I remember being on spring break and being asked some questions. We were trying to do evangelism, being asked some questions. Just like, oh, that's the Old Testament. And I remember, I remember answering a question. I don't even remember how I answered it. I had something to do with the connection of the Old and New Testament. And a friend of mine, we get back to the hotel, and he's like, I had no idea what you were talking about. So uh, even a Christian didn't have a clue what I was talking about, so I could only imagine how much more the unbeliever, or maybe it made total sense to the unbeliever because we were both kind of uh, just operating out of uh, no knowledge of what we were talking about. So maybe it didn't make sense. Um and then I went to Miami of Ohio and started getting into Reformed faith and studying more, looking at revival more, studying the life of Keith Green. I really, I was really into Charles Finney, who was part of the Second Great Awakening. I started reading all these things. Anyway, I just became more and more convinced of the basic idea of open-air preaching. I thought it was a good idea. And that would have been 1994-5 area. And you know, fast forward uh, basically six years from there. So 2000, uh, the beginning of 2000, I'm in seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. I went there because of Francis Schaeffer. I started reading stuff like by Francis Schaeffer and got into apologetics and came across Greg Bonson and stuff like that. So I started getting into apologetics, go to college or go to seminary. And while I'm in seminary, at the beginning of uh, 2000, a friend messages me and just said, hey, would you be interested in, you know, you've been talking about doing open-air preaching for a while, as long as I've known you, would you be interested in maybe taking some time off of seminary and doing it? And as I thought about it and prayed about it, I was kind of like, yeah, it makes sense that I would do that. And what kind of stunk is I would, uh, you know, I'd ask these guys if they'd want to join me, and you'd have some guys who were going to take a semester off, but then they'd retreat. And so after about six months of people hemming and hawing and saying no, I finally just said, you know what, whether I have anybody to go with me or not, I'm going. So... In August, I think it was, maybe July of 1993, I bought myself a Volkswagen bus in 1978, uh, Deluxe, and in late August of 19 or 2000, I set off to begin preaching. I, I loaded up my 
bus with a couple books, a Bible, clothes, and uh, set off from Ohio. And I started off in Pennsylvania. And the first place I ever preached was Slippery Rock University, which is just north of Pittsburgh, maybe like maybe 45 minutes, 30 minutes. And it's kind of a, a very blue-collary sort of campus. And one of the things as you travel around, you realize there are certain campuses that are much more blue-collar than other ones. And uh, at least at this point, they they often seem to be like, say, the first generation of their family going to college, maybe a little more uh, located in the community rather than, say, going across state or from out of state and stuff like that. And so I remember going there with a friend of mine, Greg is his name, and we show up to campus. And this is how I remember. I'd be curious if he was here, see, how, see if he remembers it at all in a similar fashion. But I... I remember going out there and we, we set up shop and I just thought I'd roll out there and start preaching because all summer long I kind of prepared sermons. I was trying to memorize stuff and how I'd do it and what I would say and all this sort of stuff. So I was, I, I mean, I was, I, had, I think I had 10 sermons prepared that summer of what I thought I was going to do and say. And then I get out there, I was just terrified. Like it really was like my knees were kind of like knocking. And I remember going over to my friend Greg, he's like, I don't know if I can do it. And he'd kind of like, I don't know if literally rub my shoulders, but kind of like rub my shoulders. Like you can, you can do it. You just, just say something, just say something. It probably took me maybe an hour and a half maybe, maybe two hours to actually say something. I think my opening line, if I remember, was 2,000 years ago, a man by the name of John the Baptist, and that was my uh, opening line. I kind of vaguely remember maybe six people stopping, listening, being asked a couple questions, raising a couple uh, objections, and kind of having a back and forth, and really just petering out of things to say and what to do after maybe 20 minutes, uh, I would guess, is, is about how long I lasted. And when I got done, I was just absolutely exhausted. I just remember being beat. And uh, because there's such all the anxiety, the emotional release and everything else. I was just like, I I just remember finishing up and just being like, man, I I, want to just go to sleep. And there's a Christian college there or nearby called Grove City. And so I remember uh, leaving campus, stopping at a grocery store, buying a giant watermelon and visiting some friends at Grove City, a friend of mine or more friends from my friend Greg. And sitting on their campus and eating a watermelon for the next uh, you know couple hours, I was just sitting there. I was just—it was, it was so funny. What a, so much anxiety uh, going on. So, uh, and at that point, and next week, I'll talk a little bit about my, like kind of like when I knew I could do it because you know I just did it at that point. I just packed up, sold everything, so to speak, proverbially sold everything, and uh, began to travel and preach. And I had no idea what I was doing. I, I knew what I didn't want to do. I did not want to be hellfire and brimstone guy, but I didn't know who I wanted to be and how I wanted to do it. And so I say that to say this, that if you are interested in doing open-air preaching, in some ways it's kind of like riding a bike. You just have to do it uh, or going up and uh, you know, trying, to, trying to hit a baseball. And as you do it, you'll begin to find your style. I remember being a little kid and I'd go up to bat, say, fourth, fifth grade, and I'd try to imitate Gary Carter or Lenny Dykstra or Daryl Strawberry or Keith Hernandez, whoever my favorite Met was at the time. I'd try to imitate those guys. Uh, as I was up at the plate, and eventually I, I began to f- settle into what my style was as a, as a as a hitter, which was I was tiny, so I was usually looking for the walk because I couldn't find my strike zone, and 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 that's kind of like what it's like open air preaching. You have to go out there, you have to do it a little bit, and then you start to get your feet under you after a handful of times where you're just kind of like this is who I am. This is how I do it. And within that, it's always helpful. It's kind of like when you're batting, it's always helpful to have a little bit of instruction, a little bit of coaching. Uh, but for the most part, uh, the, the, one of the main things you need to do is, is just kind of get your legs under you from doing it. So uh, that, that's kind of the, I just wanted to put that out there just because a handful of people have asked. And so, yeah, you just kind of have to do it. 
it's as easy as that, but also as difficult as that. Because it took me about, I guess, maybe six weeks uh, to really feel like I started to get my legs under me. Then probably another year before I really got settled in. So, uh, if you're interested in doing it, uh, you might have a similar type experience. But if you do it and you know you're six weeks in and you're starting to feel like you turn a corner, that makes sense. If say you're a year in, you're not turning a corner. You know, maybe it's not what you're actually called to do. I don't know. I don't know how to judge something like that, but. That's this episode of the Campus Preacher Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach out to me, Keith, at campuspreacher.com, Campus Evangel on Twitter, Campus Preacher on Instagram, Keith Darrell on Facebook. Lord bless you. Keep you. Talk to you next week. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom. He runs on his way. There's no time to be going slow. Hurry, take what you've got, do with it what you can. Cause the good God in heaven needs us, so we're